0: Stern filmmaker Ann Johnston Brown has spent the past 35 years navigating the ups and downs of Hollywood. With a master's degree in theater arts, Ann was a professor at the prestigious American Academy of Dramatic Arts in Los Angeles, and is the author of several books published by Smith & Krauss, the world's largest of its kind. Her films on the subject of homelessness have won countless awards, and her voice can be heard throughout the world in a variety of television and radio commercials as well as the audiobooks of many New York Times and USA Today best-selling authors. And now, she brings to you the best of what she's learned. Welcome to The Actor's Guide. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The Actor's Guide. Today, I'm going to continue with the Masterclass series, and this one is very special to me because I spent years uh, researching this subject, and it is comedy is the subject, but specifically characterization in comedy using archetypes. And I've had a number of guests on the show who have discussed their process for characterization, for getting into character uh, as actors when we are given a role. And one thing we all agree on is that studying life, Studying other people is a very important thing when you're an actor because art represents life and acting is is an art. And so we as actors are representing life. We, in fact, are bringing life to the stage. We're not just representing. We are actually living when we're on the stage, when we are in front of a camera, when we are playing a role. Uh, I love that word playing, by the way. You know, we, when we are, when we are doing a a show in the theater, we call it a play. But actors are always playing. We are just, what a great thing we can do as actors is to say that that's what we do all day long is play. And, and so I want to discuss comedy. How, how much more fun can you have as an actor, but to play comedy? Although some people consider it drudgery. Because you've always heard that dying is easy. Comedy is hard. So some people would rather die than do comedy because it's, it is a specialized art. And uh, there are a lot of dramatic actors who say, who feel that they cannot play comedy. But there are a lot of comedic actors. Look at Robin Williams. Look at look at just so many of the uh, Jim Carrey, uh, the, the the comedic actors who who ended up just mastering dramatic acting. Um uh, I think that that comedic acting is a special, special gift. And if you have it, oh boy, I, I hope you you use it. So let's talk a little bit about comedy, but I'm also gonna bring to you uh a principle of of uh, a theory really for how you can develop characters not only in in comedy but we're going to discuss how comedy uses archetypes much more readily than even we see in dramatic uh in drama in drama like movies and television shows we can see in sitcoms the use of archetypes As a formula, so much easier. And this is why I want to use comedy today to discuss how we can research our characters and how we can study real life, people in our lives, the people on television, the people just walking down the street, how you can study and analyze and use that research for your acting roles, for your, for your career. This is an important way for you to develop as an actor. So, uh, let's begin though talking a little bit about comedy itself. You know, we, we, we know that comedy is very important. Comedy is something that we use as a physical release. We laugh. We laugh. It, it releases tension, right? Uh, it, but it's very instinctive. Babies laugh and they don't understand irony. <laughs> they they aren't, uh, you know, thinking, wow, that was very witty of you, mom, and they laugh. No, they laugh because it is an instinctive reaction, and it's very psychological and physiological, and so it's a wonderful thing. The Bible discusses uh, laughter. It says, laughter do with good like a medicine. It says, laughter is is as good as taking Tylenol. You know, it it makes you feel good. And so as comedians, as comedic actors, you know, we're healers. We're helping people uh, with their cathartic, healing and and so uh, treat it as as a very important thing don't let people make you feel if you're a comedic actor or a comedian or whatever that you are that you're just uh, wasting your life because this I feel because I I've I've studied studied comedy for a very long time I feel it's a very important member of the two-party genre of theater which includes drama as well but uh, but comedy for me is 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 where it's that. Um, you know, people love to, to laugh. Yes. And when we are creating comedy on the stage and in sitcoms, we are using various, uh, tools, various mechanisms. Uh, we, we use denigration, you know, when you denigrate, you're, you're using the superiority theory that, that psychologists and, you know, uh, I'm sure Freud had a lot to say about that. Um, And, uh, and when we, when we denigrate, we take someone off their high horse, right? Think about the naked gun. Think about, uh, when, when Leslie Nielsen tackled the queen and they're sliding across the table and you see this pompous, you know, aristocrat, whoever she is, you know, this queen and she's being tackled by this, this idiot. You know, uh, that actually made her look stupid too. And that's what we call denigration. There's the clashing of ideas in comedy. Uh, we love controversy. We love it when people are, are, are retorting. They're getting into a, a, a conflict of wits and one will say one thing and the other will say another. I mean, Will and Grace, the sitcom Will and Grace, even Friends. Oh my gosh, the, the sitcom Friends. Uh, at, actually, every sitcom has witty retorts, but I love it when two characters will just go at it and one is outdoing the other and you just, you'd never quit laughing really. And that's because we love it when, when people outwit each other. Um, and and there's so many other things that we laugh at. I don't have to tell you, but a lot of study has been done. I personally spent years studying this. Uh the, the the comedy and why why is it that I love it so much? You know, uh I found that one of my favorite things about comedy is ambivalence. I have never laughed as hard in a at a sitcom as I did when in Seinfeld, Jerry, <laughs> I hope I can get this out without laughing, but Jerry and Elaine are at the funeral, uh, and they're in this funeral scene, <laughs> and there are people crying, and there are people just mourning, and they are sitting there just totally ambivalent, and they're talking, I think she's talking about her clothes, like she needs a new wardrobe. Or something. And, and in between their sentences, people are crying. Now, I, I think that s- sounds horrible when I'm just saying it like this, but the insensitivity of Jerry and Elaine was so unacceptable that it became comical because you know that that, unless these are cruel, horrible people and we knew they weren't that, that, that We can do nothing else but laugh. Either that or just kick them out and be mad at them and never watch the show again. So ambivalence is funny. Irony, obviously everyone knows that irony is funny. The incongruous, the unexpected, the things that happen that, 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 you know, you're just, you don't see it coming. You just don't see it coming. And obviously in regards to irony, when, when an audience will make a connection, when they themselves will make a connection, In other words, something is implied and the audience is proud of themselves for making a connection to something that had been said earlier or to a reference being made, but not actually maybe in subtext. The audience, audiences love to laugh at their own wit, at their own ability to connect something. So these are things that make comedy so special. And, uh, again, i'm the reason i analyze is because like i said i've made it a study i wrote a book about it i feel like it's something that's worth studying and if you're doing comedy and if you are 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 maybe a dramatic actor and you're trying to figure comedy out well maybe this is a a master class you need to listen to and also there are going to be a few books i'm going to reference you on uh, Uh, uh so so be prepared at the end for that um you know, and we know that all, all, all components of comedy, uh, the components of all comedy rather are, you know, we have a premise, which is a situation based in satire. We have comedic beats. Now remember, you know, in comedy, especially a sitcom, that there needs to be laughter every 15 to 20 seconds. If that audience is not laughing, you don't have a sitcom. And so check out your favorite sitcom. Just just go to the sitcom uh, filmed in front of a live audience. You can't go to to Modern Family. You can't go to some of these that that are not filmed in front of live audiences that do not have spontaneous laughter. But 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 just go to uh, old episodes of Friends and Seinfeld and things like that and 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 listen to the laughter. It happens no more than 15 to 20 seconds will pass without laughter. Uh, and then there's always a big punch ending, a big resolution that ties everything together. And usually it's hilarious. And sometimes it is very unexpected again, ironic. Um, so, uh, again, I, uh for those of the, you who, who probably have been listening to the other podcasts, you know, that I worked with Fred Willard for many years. Uh, we, uh, I was a part of his comedy troupe. Um, we were called the mohos and we did sketch comedy very much like SNL style comedy. Uh, we did sketches and Fred was, was actually the main, uh, my main reference for, for my master's thesis. When I was, uh, getting my master's degree, I wrote a thesis on comedy. And I, I would talk to him at length and I would record him just, just telling me, you know, hey, this is what you need to do. If you want to, to play comedy, this is what you need to do. And this is what he said. He said, study people. I've already told you that. Study people because in order for you to do comedy, you have to be prepared to transform. Actually, that is a rule for all acting. We always have to transform as, as humans, actors, as, as who we are has to transform into this character. But for comedy, it's a little more uh, it, 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 it has to be done quicker. It has to be done on the fly sometimes, especially if you're doing sketch comedy. But transformation is, is the key. And if we are, a, and this is where I'm going to, about to talk to you about archetypes. If you can study people and, and analyze and identify who you're looking at and what, who they are, which of the six archetypes they represent, it will be much easier for you to study that particular character because we're going to tell you what you can expect from that type of character. And you can actually just study on your own these types of characters, these types of archetypes. And then once you know the character that you need to play, it'll be so much easier for you to slip into that skin. Uh, Fred also talked about and this is a huge lesson for, for, for comedic actors, is that you're always playing the reality, the circumstance. Do not play the joke. Do not play the punchline. It's just the reality you're going for. Now, granted, comedy comes with a lot of facets that that you have to be able to layer on top of the reality. And that often includes you know uh extreme circumstances so you know your your character may be extremely such and such uh, uh extremely um, you know uh nerdy extremely arrogant extremely in other words it's bigger than normal life and i get that and you need to get that we need to always remember that in comedy we are we are very often playing the extremes of these archetypes but it's they're still going to have a reality. To them, their extremeness is reality. And so you cannot constantly be yourself as an actor aware of the punchline, aware of the joke. Think about the Coneheads on SNL. Think about the Coneheads. Think about Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. When they are in those Coneheads looking Absolutely ridiculous. That's the extreme part I'm talking about. And yet, they were so committed to the reality of their situation. They're from another planet. They're here on Earth. They're trying to blend in. How can you blend in with a cone on your head? There's the comedy. But did they play that? Did they act like they knew that they had a cone on their head? No. So you cannot let the audience ever know You're in on the joke. Let them know the joke. You're just going to be playing the reality. So these are just some, just some hints for, for you guys. I think that, but the, the bulk of what I want to discuss today, uh, is, is characterization in comedy. And characterization in comedy, again, I believe comes down to archetyping. And for me, I, I mean, they, you know, the, uh, you've got Carl Jung, you've got Sigmund Freud, you've got a million people out there that are talking about personality types, uh, the, the, the things that make people the way they are, the qualities as they were that, you know, we talk about character qualities even though we always think about characters as being those things that we are playing on the stage those people that those roles that we are taking on guess what guys we're all characters every one of us is a character we're just we're just moving along through life but we're still a character um you know uh group types uh began as far as recognition of group types began uh in the the greek times with aristophanes i mean uh, you know 500 bc uh when 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 theater began it, it, the greeks knew there were types there were there were there were types that that were represented in society that's why originally theater was u- was was performed with masks and they would have like a various number of masks that represented all the types in greek society at the time and the, the actors would wear a mask well now we talk about we talk metaphorically about putting on the mask um and 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 as we all know uh the commedia dell'arte you know with 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 in in you know the 16th to the 17th centuries you know with the stock types uh the those were oh my gosh that uh, you know they they personified uh they 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 made they made it uh, almost a, a you know, a cult, uh, fad, you know, with, with, uh, with drama and comedy to have the, the, the stock types, which Shakespeare used himself. I mean, Shakespeare, my goodness, uh, he, he, he actually revived Plautus, who, who was a, was a, you know, an ancient, uh, 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 theater writer and, and he would use masks, but literally Shakespeare revived the Plautus, uh, you know, plays, uh, rewrote them, in fact, and, uh, just basically took the masks off, uh, but, but so masks or types have been Basically used throughout the centuries, and I'm not going to keep going with Molière and, and melodrama and 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 into the 20th century because I think I think you know where I'm going with this. The point is, we have to understand how basic human beings are, and it's so basic that as actors, it all we need do is understand. What we're looking at when we look into society, when we look at our husbands and our wives and our children and our parents and our neighbors and everyone else, we can literally within a few minutes after seeing, studying, you know, uh, taking in what we're hearing, what we're visualizing, we can pretty much name the type that these people in our lives are. And once we do that as actors, we need to then learn how to take that on, to put that skin on us. And sometimes that's about gesture. Sometimes that's about the way we speak, our cadence, the way we walk, the way we po- our posture is, the way that we, that we react the way that we just 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 uh, the 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 whether or not we are are uh, are emotional or unemotional so many facets of each of these archetypes but it is incumbent on all of us as actors and the, uh, d- you know to to understand this so i'm going to discuss for a few minutes the six archetypes that i've referred to uh and the reason i i have brought up comedy is it's because obviously i wrote i wrote a book about it but i also feel that it's easiest to see the archetypes in comedy because the archetypes in comedy once again are more extreme and so it's easier to see right when you see something a little more illuminated a little more uh you know uh you know a uh, bigger uh granted things that are bigger are easier to see all right there is a man by the name of Alan G. Hunter. He wrote a book called The Stories We Need to Know. I think that's, that's the name of the book. I'm going to link it to this podcast, but it, The Stories We Need to Know. I, uh, I used his, his entire archetyping breakdown for analyzing comedy in my book, which is True to Archetype. Uh, and I'll link that book as well to this. And basically what he said was pretty much you will see all six of these archetypes in life. And and sometimes you're going to see subtypes. In other words, there's going to be a little bit of a, of a watered down version or there's going to be uh, one type that's uh, that's graduating to another type. Or sometimes a type will pretend, not pretend, but just take on the qualities of a different type to get through a situation. But really, at their core, they are still a particular type. His types that he identifies are these the innocent. Obviously, the innocent is trusting, very naive. A really good example of an innocent would be on the show Cheers. If you remember early on the first two seasons, I think, uh, the, the character of Coach, the character of Coach was extremely innocent. So, so loving, so gentle, so unadulterated. Uh, he, he, he was, uh, he, in fact, he very rarely went outside of, of his type uh i think one time his daughter came on the show and he had to play father which father and we'll talk about another type later but but his father uh, role was venturing into a different type but he always came back to the innocent type also if you remember the show wings it's a uh, it's uh, it was on in the 90s it it was uh it had all the archetypes believe me guys when you start studying this, the, the sitcoms, you will see that the only way a sitcom will ever last more than a few seasons is if every one, at least the first five of the six archetypes are represented. If you don't have at least four or five of the main six archetypes represented in a sitcom, you will not have a successful sitcom. It will not go further. Um, but in Wings, Lowell Mather... If you remember, he was definitely an an innocent type, and everyone had to kind of look after him. You know, when he was getting a divorce, I mean, there was Helen and Joe in the, uh, the attorney's office with him because he, he he was an innocent. He he really couldn't do it alone. If you move to the next archetype, and I and I'm I'm going to keep giving you examples, and I want you to take these, and I want you to look uh, at your own favorite sitcoms, and I want you to Analyze and find these for yourself and then take these into your own character analysis and development so that you can start putting this skin on yourself at a moment's notice. The orphan archetype follows and the orphan archetype is our favorite archetype, truly, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. He's the cynic, he's insecure, he's the sidekick, he's the one that makes all the jokes. He's the one we're probably laughing at the most. And he would be the Chandler character in Friends. Chandler never missed an opportunity to crack a joke uh George Costanza George Costanza in Seinfeld was the orphan archetype and the orphan and it's aptly named because that's the one that is attaching themselves to anybody that will carry them along just take them along with them in other words adopt me please adopt me and George did that with Jerry Chandler did that with with Joey and Ross and so you know identify these and, and but but you will not have a hard time identifying the orphan archetype in any sitcom because they're the ones that you laugh the most at. The pilgrim archetype is a very difficult one to identify. You have to stop for a second and then you'll figure it out. That is the wanderer, the compulsive, the loner, the one that, the one that doesn't need anybody. They're trying to find themselves. That's Phoebe. Phoebe Uh, buffet in Friends. Oh, my goodness. She was the the quintessential pilgrim. Even Kramer in Seinfeld, he was very much a pilgrim. I mean, my goodness, this is a guy who you didn't know what he was going to do. He wasn't really an orphan. He didn't have to have anybody. You know, one minute he had one friend, and the next minute he was off doing something else. He was just trying to figure himself out, and he was a pilgrim. Moving on, the warrior lover is our next phase. The warrior lover is who every sitcom is based on. You will not have a sitcom that doesn't have a warrior lover. I mean, even the ones that fail because they don't have five, perhaps five of these archetypes, uh, they will always have a warrior lover because that's who it's about. And the warrior lover is the fighter, is the one who's responsible, is the one who's who's the the show is built around. For instance, Monica on Friends. Monica, the show, she was the one that was out there. She seemed like the center focus. She's the one that made the food. She was the one that was constantly she was the friend to everybody. She was doing everything all the time. Uh, Richie Cunningham on that on the Happy Days episode or Happy Days series. You know, Richie was so, you know, of course, I, I adore, uh, the character mostly because, uh, you know, I, 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 adore Ron Howard, who, who not only I think was brilliant as a child actor on the Andrew Griffith show, but also is a, a brilliant director. Think about how he played that character of Richie Cunningham, this warrior lover, this guy who was just out to Be there for everybody, fighting for what was right. Look at it, guys. You will never find a sitcom without a a very strong warrior lover. And then we have the top two, the highest two levels of archetypes. Monarch archetypes are the parental type, are the judges, the rulers, the ones who stand over everyone else the the ones who seem to be the the one everyone else goes to uh, for instance on home improvement if you remember you know Tim the tool man Taylor boy he was just crazy right Jill his wife was literally the parent of the three boys but she also was kind of like a parent to to Tim she was very monarchy like she was a monarch because she had to control the situation. You know, warrior lovers don't necessarily control the situation. They're just there for everybody. They're trying to, they're just dancing as fast as they can. They, they're fighting. They're fighting. The monarchs are the ones who come in and they make, they make everything right. They, they, they solve the problems. Ricky Ricardo did that for Lucy on the show all the time. He was a monarch but there's one level. It's the highest level. You don't always see it in every sitcom, but it's the magician, the highest level. This is the miracle worker. This is the one that might be on the show a lot, may not be on every ser- every episode, but when they come in, They usually are there for a really important reason, or if they're there all the time, they're, they're kind of in the background, in the background, in the background. And then one day, ba-boom, they create, they, 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 you know, create a miracle. And they're kind of like a shaman, I guess. I would think that Wilson on home improvement with his very, very spot on advice, Occasionally to Tim Taylor over that fence with his, just his eyes showing. He was very much a magician on that show. Uh, on the Andy Griffith show, I just referenced that with, uh, with Ron Howard. Well, uh, I, I think Aunt B many times was a magician. She, she would look at Andy and she would give him that, "Mm mm-hmm. And she would just, and she could just solve, she could just create a miracle just with one little, Maybe one sentence. So these are the, the six. The innocent, the orphan, the pilgrim, the warrior lover, the monarch, and the magician. You will always find at least the first four or five. Or you'll always find the first five. Because there's almost always a monarch, a parental, uh, you know, character. But you will definitely find those. Maybe not always the magician. Sometimes they'll come in on occasionally. If you do not see them, you will not have a successful sitcom. I can tell you that. But more than just discussing sitcoms, I'm here to give you a little lesson in archetypes and how you can spot them and why it's important to look at people and not just for what they're saying or what they're doing, but who they are and make people your study and if you can do that and then take those qualities onto yourself and practice practice those qualities maybe use a little improvisation i believe in it and once you can do it and master those qualities you could play any character that's given to you this has been the actor's guide tag you're it this has been the Actor's Guide. For more information about Ann Johnston Brown or to join the tag team, please visit our website at ajbprods.com slash podcast.